Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. How's it going, Katie? Pretty good. How about yourself? I'm all right. You're a little um, Bonnie Tyler. This is the listeners know every so often the Bonnie Tyler comes out and here she is. (laughs) Here she is. You know, this year marks the 40th anniversary of Total Eclipse of the Heart. I did not know that. So that's what this is. It's just a tribute. It's a tribute. (laughs) It's a prelude to the special anniversary that I'm sure we will, you know, celebrate later this year. Of course. Um, Well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how SZA's SOS now has the most weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart among releases by women in seven years. Also, how Rihanna's Super Bowl halftime show yielded some major chart results, and how Linkin Park is back in the top 40 on the Billboard Hot 100 with a new hit for the first time in nearly a decade. Speaking of Linkin Park, since we have new vocals from the late Chester Bennington, we wanted to talk about some other posthumously released music that has happened in the last few years and what we think about it, so stick around for that. But first... Before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Okay, let's do the chart chat. First up, SZA's SOS claims a ninth non-consecutive week at number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart, marking the most weeks atop the list for any album by a woman since Adele's 25 closed out a 10-week stay at number one in March of 2016. Is she going to make it to to 10 weeks, do you think, Keith? Maybe. (laughs) Uh, uh, Seems like the biggest new album that dropped last Friday in contention for a high debut on next week's chart is Pink's Trustfall. She's a regular visitor to number one, so we will see how the week shakes out. I also feel like I've heard a lot about that album. Like, I feel like there's a lot of chatter about that album, so it she's got a shot. Well, next up, the Billboard charts are flush with Rihanna albums and songs as the Superstars Super Bowl halftime show leaves its mark. 
Plus, she also logged her biggest streaming week ever in the United States last week, thanks to buzz generated by the big game. Wow. All right. Yeah, let me break it all down. So for the first time, the superstar actually places five albums on the Billboard 200, and all of them are in the top 50. She becomes only the seventh act in the last 50 years to have five albums in the top 50 at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Rihanna's Billboard 200 hit parade is led by her most recent studio effort, Anti, which vaults from number 50 to number eight. The former number one's first visit to the top 10 since 2016, its year of release. It's also the first time that Rihanna has placed any album in the top 10 since Anti in 2016. Mm-hmm. Because she's not give us an album since yeah. Anti in 2016. If only you would give us another album. <laughs> Anti returns to the top 10 of the Billboard 200 with 36,000 equivalent album units earned in the U.S. in the week ending February 16th. That is up 166%, of course, according to Luminate. Rihanna's Super Bowl halftime set list included the album's hit single, Work, featuring Drake. Well, the original version features Drake, but Drake was not there at halftime. She also wove in elements of the album's Pose and Kiss It Better into the performances of All the Lights and Rude Boy, respectively, during halftime. Rihanna also crowds the top 50 of the Billboard 200 with her studio albums Good Girl Gone Bad, Unapologetic, Loud and Talk That Talk at numbers 15, 18, 26, and 49, respectively. Moving on to her streaming numbers, according to Illuminate, her collected songs, on which she is the primary artist per Illuminate, they collected 166.1 million on-demand official streams in the U.S. in the week ending February 16th, up 157% compared to the previous week when they had 65 million. Now, her biggest streaming week until last week had been in February of 2016, shortly after the release of the Anti album, when she had 102 million streams in the week ending February 25th, 2016. Those are the only two weeks, last week and that one week in February 2016, where Rihanna has ever had at least 100 million streams for her songs in a single week. It feels like incredible. we we should say also that streaming has grown so exponentially over the last few years. So it's like when we think of Rihanna having massive hits, she didn't have those massive hits during really the streaming era. Like streaming was newer and didn't have as many users streaming in general. So it's it's there's some context to that, too. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where almost anyone is going to, in theory, have their biggest week ever with streams just because streaming continues to grow. And, you know, especially if you introduce a new album to the market or you have some big market driver like the Super Bowl, it's really going to move the needle, especially for an artist like Rihanna, who has been around for a while, but her career predated her the the beginning of her career predated when streaming even started so yeah and so what was her biggest song um on streaming last week oh good question katie uh hold on (laughs) it was it was umbrella uh featuring jay-z with 9.5 million official on-demand streams and that was up 203 percent 
And of course, she performed that during Super Bowl halftime. Um, you know, it's interesting. Rihanna, she's got five albums on the Billboard 200, which are all studio albums, and she's never made a greatest hits album. So, nope. Keith, if she did have a hits album, would she maybe have been number one given all these songs being in one place? I thought, I've thought about this a bit. Um, you know, I don't know, but I did what I, I actually kind of dug around a little bit. I, I looked at her biggest streaming songs last week and kind of took a guesstimate as to how many album units they might have equaled mm-hmm. had I done the math. You know, it, it's all a lot of sort of guesstimations, but it kind of feels like maybe she could have had a shot at another number one album if they had had the right track list with the right rollout and all things, you know, kind of lining up. Um, but, you know, I hold out hope that maybe we'll get a greatest hits album from Rihanna, maybe someday, maybe at Christmas. Who knows? <laughs> was the was the weekend's highlights album number one after he headlined Super Bowl halftime? No, it got to number two. Ah, number two. OK, so who yeah. knows then? We truly don't know. We truly don't know, um, though. I n- I'm now interested, like maybe I might pursue a could Rihanna have had a number one if she only had a greatest hits album? <laughs> so you may see a story like that on dot com. I don't know, but I won't don't don't hold me to it. Uh, lastly, on the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart, as Miley Cyrus's Flowers spins a fifth week at number one, Pink Panthers <laughs> it's hard for me to say that Pink Panthers. <laughs> And Ice Spice's viral and streaming hit, Boy is a Liar Part 2, surges 14 to 4 in just its second week on the chart, clearly with its eyes on the top spot. It's also the first top 40 hit for both acts, so it really I, feels like this is a huge moment for both of them. And it's Pink Panthers's uh, Hot 100 debut period. And now she's in the top 10. Yeah, because uh, uh, Xander did one of his Hot 100 first-timers articles about her last week. I mean, it's it's one of those, it's 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 wild where it seems like the Hot 100 first-timer article, and then like two weeks later, it could be like and number one And then she's at number four, exactly, yeah. totally. I yeah. mean, that's not unlike what happened for Kim Petras with Unholy, which ended up going to number one, and it was her Hot 100 debut as well. So there you go. Well, well, also on the Hot 100, a new old Linkin Park song debuts as Lost premieres at number 38, marking the band's first new top 40 charting hit since Burn It Down debuted and peaked at number 30 in 2012. Now, Lost was recorded during the band's sessions for the 2003 album Meteora and was kept in the vaults until its release this year on February 10th. Lost will be included on a 20th anniversary deluxe reissue of Meteora, dubbed Meteora 20, due out on April 7th. And the track features, as Katie mentioned at the top of the show, the lead vocals of the band's late Chester Bennington, who passed away in 2017. Yeah, in a press statement from the band, uh, Mike Shinoda said... Finding this track was like finding a favorite photo you had forgotten you'd taken, like it was waiting for the right moment to reveal itself. For years, fans have been asking us to release something with Chester's voice, and I'm thrilled we've been able to make that happen in such a special way. I think they're going to be floored when they hear and see all the incredible unreleased songs and video footage in Meteora 20. 
there's a hint right there that there's also going to be some visuals of Chester that we probably have never seen coming out as well. Yeah. Um, and Lost is among six unreleased songs that will be on Meteora 20, um, in addition to demos, live shows, B-sides, and previously unaired footage with the band. Um, and the project is going to be available in multiple variations, including a super deluxe box set, deluxe vinyl box set, deluxe three CD, and digital download. So there's just so much coming for Linkin Park fans who I'm sure are are very hungry for it. Yeah, and and I want to note that this album actually was the band's first number one album on the Billboard 200. Most people assume that Hybrid Theory was their first number one. It wasn't. Hybrid Theory peaked number two, and then the and that was their first album. And then the album after that, which was a remix album called Reanimation, it also peaked at number two. And then the third album, which was Meteora, debuted at number one and spent two weeks at number one um, upon its release. So. Um, and also, by the way, this is this. They already did a deluxe reissue of Hybrid Theory, so this is like the second in sort of an ongoing series, apparently, of kind of super deluxe, lavish anniversary reissues from the band. You know, previously on the podcast, I think we've spoken a bit about like the um, technology of having uh, new hologram versions of artists and sort of the ethics around it and that sort of thing. But, you know, this this song being such an out of the box hit like it is and people obviously being very hungry for hearing these like kind of lost tracks from Chester makes you wonder you know, about a lot of posthumous releases we've heard um, in recent years, um, you know, anything from Prince and Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston and Tupac and Biggie and John Lennon, or even, you know, even more recently, Juice World and Pop Smoke and XXXTentacion. Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of new projects that have come out, and I think there will always be, always be an appetite for it, but you also sort of pause and wonder, like, would the artist have wanted this thing released? Would, would uh, you know, was it unreleased because it was unfinished? Was it unreleased because the artist didn't love it and didn't want to include it on a project during their life? So, I don't know. It's just an interesting conversation. I think, Keith, I think most Linkin Park fans are probably just pleased to hear Chester, but you do yeah. wonder, like, what Chester, you know, would have wanted. Yeah, it's it's I mean, we talk about this all the time and it's a struggle because there's always this like thirst for wanting to hear more music from your favorite artist who is no longer here. But then you also have to wrestle with the idea of, well, is this something the artist would have wanted now? At least in this particular situation, we have the rest of the band of Lincoln Park and his widow on his widow as well and and his widow mm -hmm. um to say we feel okay with this mm -hmm. you know though those though these songs which were previously unreleased were you know shelved or put into a vault at the time we still feel that they would be um something he would consider worthy to put out now like if you were with us today he would say oh yeah sure let's put that onto a deluxe edition we want the people to hear him you know maybe they have like very kind of valid kind of bland reasons for why the songs didn't initially come out yeah that like having too much good material for instance uh, yeah. you know and also there's the factor of chester you know being taken from us very early in life and there was a lot more music to come from lincoln park like they were not done they were very much like still huge in you know alt rock radio like 
this this was a career cut short and it yeah. wasn't you know there, there's often like these legends that we lose later in life where you know somebody's going way back in the vaults and maybe you know for instance Prince they literally had to break into his vault to get oh, to yeah. all his music and he talked a lot about you know what what would happen with his music after he died um, Chester did not talk like that because he was a very young man when he died you know so there's that factor yeah. too where like they're probably you know like Mike and him had a lot more music to put out. And so we're probably getting a taste of some of that stuff we would have heard if Chester was still with us too for a 20 year anniversary of their number one album, you know? Yeah. Like this is probably something they would have done even had Chester still been with us. Exactly. Like, you know, and, and I think what you said is important also to consider, you know, this is, it's, I mean, it's all still like all of these things have a common thread, the artist that is involved with the project is no longer here to actually say what they think about something. Yeah. Full stop. However, all of these different individual artists and projects have different nuances and gray areas. It's hard to compare Chester Bennington's voice being heard on a new Lincoln Park project to, say, having to piece together fragments of, say, John Lennon's voice on a demo tape that was on a cassette that someone found, you know, to piece it together to make a new Beatles song. Right. You know, it's like, well, did John ever really want that out? Yeah. I mean, though we do have his widow Yoko to voice the opinion on behalf of him and his estate, and you have the rest of the Beatles to, at that time, for, I'm talking about Free as a Bird back in the in the 90s. You had the other three Beatles at the time to say, well, we feel okay enough with this particular fragment to make something from it. Yeah. But it's it's all like this, like this sliding scale of like, what do we feel good with and what do we feel not so good with? And I'm sure, you know, frankly, there's tons of stuff by lots of artists that are no longer here with us that probably never see the light of day because the estate or whoever is taking care of the project or, the, or, or that artist is just like, no, I'm not going to put this out. We know this is this would never pass the muster of, say, Michael Jackson. Yeah. Like Even he would be like, no, don't put this out. You know, I have to say, I feel like the Kygo song um, Higher Love, which features Whitney Houston's vocals, has to be one of the best examples of like, first of all, it's it's a cover of a hit song that we all know. But, you know, I believe Keith, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Maybe her cover was like on a like a Japanese release or something like, uh, yeah. you know, during her lifetime. Um, and so it's like so she we knew she wanted to cover that song. She covered that song. It was released in some form. And then a, a modern day artist took it and turned it into a very modern sounding hit. But it's like you knew Whitney was involved in every piece up to the Kygo remix of it. Right. Right. And like she did not approve a trop house version of it which i don't know if that was a genre she knew existed when she passed you know 10 years ago um but i think that you know there's comfort in knowing that she created this thing and knew it had already been heard and then it was taken and, and moved into the modern day that feels like there's comfort in all of those pieces right um, yeah, but and also it was a massive hit song and it was cool to see somebody, you know, such a legend who, you know, we wish was still with us, be able to have this uh, this huge modern hit, you know, like after her death. 
I think at the end of the day, the trick with with kind of all of these is if there is enough of kind of the the core of the artist or the act still here to shepherd the, a project. The stakeholders involved, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you have the rest of Lincoln Park and you have the widow of Chester Bennington mm-hmm. here to bring a project forward. Mm-hmm. Much in the same way when the Beatles still put out new deluxe lavish reissues of old classic albums. We still have half of the Beatles here with us, plus um, uh, the widows of Mm -hmm. George Harrison and John Lennon Mm -hmm. to uh, give their approvals on what they feel their husbands would have Mm -hmm. consented to. The same thing with Rolling Stones reissues and same with Nirvana issues, you know, reissues. We have the estate of Kurt Cobain plus the rest of the band members of Nirvana to speak for what they feel is appropriate. I think it gets harder when, say, you know, it's a solo artist and maybe we don't have a close, you know, like collaborator leave, you know, a widow and a child. Or, or you don't like have that. a Quincy Jones or something like you do with Michael Jackson. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but, you know, it's always these are always these are always really great questions to ponder uh, when we have reissues such as this this Lincoln Park reissue and, you know, songs from the vaults like Should Lost. I was just going to say I, I, the one final thing I wanted to say is, you know, what Taylor Swift is redoing or doing right now with all of her projects in creating these, you know, basically box sets out of each, you know, early album she had and releasing all these from the vault songs. This is like it's not, you know, it is not out of the ordinary, like what basically Linkin Park is doing right now, creating this. They are just they are missing a key piece and and um Uh, from the response, obviously, on our charts and from fans, this is like much wanted uh, from the Linkin Park fans, which is honestly the fact that it's a fan service and not not a cash grab. This is a fan service. That's the the really nice thing about it. Yeah. And also, I mean, the song sounds like it's classic I heard Lincoln it on Park. K-Rock as if it was just a, another Linkin Park song they were playing which they're still in heavy rotation on a on a station like K-Rock so yeah it's it fits right into a lot of radio playlists right now which is why it makes all the sense in the world that it's been embraced so so quickly yeah all right well now it's time for the chart stat of the week Staying with the Linkin Park theme, uh, Lost debuts at number four on the alternative airplay chart, uh, which is the act's highest charting hit since Burn It Down hit number one in 2012. And it's the group's highest debut since The Catalyst opened at number three in 2010 on its way to number one. It's safe to say Lost will most likely hit number one on the alternative chart based on the group's track record. So far, Linkin Park has racked up 11 number ones on the alternative chart and a total of 30 chart entries, with 18 of those hitting the top 10. And currently, with 11 number ones, Linkin Park has the third most leaders on the chart, with only Green Day and the Red Hot Chili Peppers ahead of them, with 12 and 15 number ones apiece. You basically just named all the K-Rock favorites right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so there you have it. Uh, just a little uh, chart rewind about Linkin Park on the alternative chart. All right, Katie, we've reached the end of our big show. Any parting words 
Uh, man. <laughs> like we got really serious on today's show. We're talking life and death issues over here today. Not our normal fluffy pop. <laughs> I but, mean, you know, I, it's an important conversation. It's I mean, it's it's I th- I think we're 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 I think w- there's a couple things. The reason why and not, not to turn this into a, a, again an extension <laughs> of what we just talked about. I think that deluxe reissues like this and from the vaults things it feels like they're happening more frequently now than they ever did before Mm -hmm. and it also feels like um um maybe we're we're perhaps noticing them more because there's a lot more acts that maybe you know we kind of you know grew up with or became fans of at a sort of important pivotal age when we were younger so we're we're like gosh another deluxe reissue it's another 20th anniversary it's the 30th you know a lot of that is happening and i think part of it makes me like one woo, i feel old and two Mm -hmm. i think they're just happening a whole lot more than maybe they used to like 20 30 40 years ago Totally. And I, I, I feel like I mentioned a few of um, the people that we've like really most recently lost, but maybe a good song to go out on would be the massive hit song from Pop Smoke's posthumous album, uh, What You Know About Love, because like that, that's like a example of like a lot of people discovered this man after he had already passed through a song like this, you know? So that's what I think we should go out on. All right, we'll go out on that, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. I think I'm falling in love. She said, what you know about love? I got what you need. Woke up in the store and get what you want. You get what you please. We about to get it on. Take off them drawers.